in Romans chapter 1 Paul was talking about the Gentile community and their judgment by God and when we come to Romans chapter 2 Paul is talking about the hypocritical religious leaders and he says you also will be subject to judgment you're not it's not that you can escape judgment and when we come to Romans chapter 3 Paul is cutting away the grounds from our own feet under our feet that do not think that you have a moral standing with God in other words Paul says that whether a person is religious or unreligious all of us will have to face judgment that's what Paul is saying and he's he's building up his thought process and moving towards a thought line and finally comes to Romans chapter 3:20 and he says no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law shall we rise to our feet for the scripture reading taken from the letter to the Romans chapter 3 verses 1 to 10 Romans chapter 3 verses 1 to 10 what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision much and everywhere first of all they have been entrusted with the very words of God what if some did not have faith will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness not at all let God be true and every man a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly what shall we say that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us I'm using a human argument certainly not if that were so how could God judge the world <clears throat> someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory why am I still condemned as a sinner why not say as we are being slanderously reported as saying and as some claim that we say let us do evil that good may result their condemnation is deserved what shall we conclude then are we any better not at all we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin as it is written there is no one righteous not even one this is God's word kindly be seated what's happening in this passage Paul the great evangelist meets people where they are at 
if you are interested in evangelism, probably Paul models that role for us. He meets people where they are at. You know, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and it's not difficult for us to imagine. Definitely there will be some Jewish, at least few Jewish Christians, and he's trying to imagine what would have gone through their mind when, uh, when I said that even Jews will be subject to judgment. And so Paul is just imagining in his mind, probably these people may have questions, they may have objections. When I say the Jews will also be subject to judgment, they may have genuine questions. And so he is trying to answer their doubts. He is not running away. This, this passage is not critical for Paul's argument, but he is not disregarding the doubts of his hearers. When we share our faith, we should not disregard or we should not overlook their doubts, however silly or however stupid it may sound. And Paul is giving us that kind of a model in this particular passage. He is placing himself in the listener's shoes and he is trying to answer us. And this is the Paul's way of doing evangelism because even in the book of Acts, when he was in Athens, you can go and see the kind of argument he has with the philosophers of that day. And that's the same model that is following in this place. In the first eight verses, we can roughly say that Paul raises four objections and he gives, tries to give four answers. You know, the first and second third and fourth, fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth. So basically, in the passage that was read to us, that we read, we see four objections that Paul is imagining and is trying to answer. In other words, it could be Paul himself struggling with his own thought process. After all, Paul was a Jew. Now, Paul has become a Christian and so having become a Christian, he is trying to see his own teachings from the point of view of a Jewish person. And he's putting forth those objections. So let's see one by one. The first objection, Paul's teaching weakens God's covenant. A Jewish person would say, Paul, your teaching just weakens God's covenant. In other words, are you bigger than God? So the verse 1 says, What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Whenever we, when we are reading the book of Romans, whenever we come across these two words, what then? Of course you have here, what advantage then? What then? He uses this phrase often in the book of Romans and whenever we come across that phrase what then Paul is basically trying to amplify his teaching or trying to just explain further what he has already taught and so here what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision Paul have you forgotten that of all the nations in the world 
God chose the Israelites, the Jewish persons. And he not only made a covenant, he also gave them a circumcision as a symbol and sign of that covenant. Have you forgotten that? Do you think that the covenant that God made with Jewish people has no significance? Do you think the circumcision that he gave has no value? That's the question the Jewish people are asking. And Paul, they're saying, what advantage is there in being a Jew? What advantage is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And Paul is not going to answer the value of circumcision because if we have gone through the chapter 2 carefully, Paul had already explained the meaning of circumcision. And he says, circumcision is circumcision, circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code, which he has already explained in chapter 2. Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. But here, instead of explaining the meaning of circumcision, he is trying to say, no, I am not saying that. I'm saying, I'm not saying that just being a Jew has no meaning, no value. But you have a different kind of value now. You have a value that comes with responsibility, rather a greater responsibility because you're Jews, because God entrusted his law to you. In verse 2 he says, much in every way, you know, don't consider yourselves, you are insignificant. No, you are great people. You have great responsibility. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. You know, this is the first privilege. You have been entrusted, you have been asked to be custodians of God's word. Have you lost the meaning of it? Can't you see the significance? God chose you and entrusted his word into your hands. What a great privilege it's for you. But you need to remember this privilege comes with a great responsibility. When God entrusts you with a privilege, it always comes with a greater responsibility. And Paul is using this word, first of all, first of all. He's a Jewish person. They've always taken pride that God gave his law to us on Mount Sinai. They always, because even in Psalm chapter 147, 19 to 20 says, He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. When you and I hold the Bible in our hands, do we have this feeling that God has entrusted us with this great responsibility he has given God's word to us. We have too many versions of the Bible in our homes and so we don't even 
we don't value the way it should be valued and paul says this is the first privilege you have just that you you can read the bible you don't have to be in a country where you cannot hold the bible in your hand and then come to that realization that oh i wish i had this bible i have served in places where there were no churches so on sundays i had not been to church in, in some of the places and i used to always think i wish i had a church and when you come to a place like this where there are too many churches you don't even realize the value of it that's a human condition that when it's deprived from us then we learn to understand the value of it as you carry this bible was this bible precious to you during the past week anything that is precious we will spend more time with it and paul says have you forgotten this privilege that god has entrusted his very words into your hands you know when paul says first of all shall we go to the previous one he says much in every way first of all the jews have been entrusted with the very words of god now when we read and when we try to find from this chapter paul says first of all this is the privilege then then we expect then the second should come there must be something second third so paul uh, you know as you all know the chapter was not when paul wrote he didn't write a chapter so you need to read the whole letter to find out where is the second what are the other privileges that jewish people have so when you come to romans chapter 9 and when you see in verses 4 and 5 he says it is not only the law that's your privilege as jewish people you have these privileges what are their privileges theirs is the adoption to sonship there's the divine glory the covenants the receiving of the law the temple worship and the promises theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the messiah who is god over all forever praised amen these are the privileges you jewish people have so when we read the first second chapter as we start reading we get a feeling paul is anti jewish no paul is not anti jewish after all he was a jewish person he was not anti jewish he says jewish people you have god has endowed you with so many privileges and you have that that's the way he answers the first objection what advantage then is there in being a jew or what value is there in circumcision what is the second objection paul says the second objection is paul's teaching nullifies god's faithfulness to israel paul your teaching just nullifies god's faithfulness to israel in verse 3 it says what if some were unfaithful will their unfaithfulness nullify god's faithfulness we can read this verse and like you know what if some jews have not proven faithful paul assuming that god made a covenant with jewish people what in case few people did not prove faithful this does not mean that god will be any less faithful on his part 
you know paul says you know paul says paul have you forgotten the numerous promises that god has made to israel have you forgotten that paul what you are trying to say is whatever promises god has made now god is not going to fulfill those promises now people the jewish person is talking from the old testament and so paul has to answer them from the old testament so paul has done his homework and so paul is going to tell them you have you forgotten god made promises yes but god had never promised <clears throat> any individual jew god had never promised right from the beginning never promised any individual jew that he can claim security in god's promises apart from repentance apart from repentance having faith in god and that should result in obedience from the heart god had never promised any individual right from the beginning apart from repentance apart from repentance apart from having faith in god and this faith that's not enough having faith that faith should also result in obedience from the bottom of our hearts then only you can claim god's promises how is he going to do you know paul is basically speaking from isaiah chapter 55 6 and 7 paul knew his scriptures very well and so he is answering to their old testament question from the old testament isaiah 555 67 seek the lord while he may be found call on him while he is near let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts let them turn to the lord and he'll have mercy on them and to our god for he will freely pardon paul says god will never break his covenant he will never break his covenant and he's answering in verse 4 not at all not at all let god be true and every human being a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge what's paul doing here so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge paul knew that they are raising up a question from the old testament or from the scriptures they knew so he has to give an answer from the scriptures that is in their hand paul is basically quoting from psalm it is psalms 51:4 says against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge you know when we come across the word true in the whole old testament uh, we it it does not mean honesty god of course is honest it does not mean honesty it it when whenever we come across this phrase true truthful god is dependable god is faithful god is the one who is trustworthy that is the meaning god is always trustworthy 
God is always dependable. God is always reliable. God will always remain true to his word. And Paul taking the, so you are right. So Paul is telling, God will always be faithful. He will be faithful in fulfilling his word. Whatever word God has spoken, he will be faithful in fulfilling his word. And even when God has to judge his people, because he has already told that the Jewish, can, Jewish people or Jews cannot escape judgment. Even if he brings judgment, still he will be faithful. And now the objection number three. If unrighteousness is necessary for God's righteousness to be seen, how is it fair for him to judge us? If unrighteousness is necessary for God's righteousness to be seen, how is it fair for him to judge us? Paul says in verse 5, But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Now Paul is saying, basically this question is not valid, but as human beings, as human beings, this thought could come to your mind, and that's why Paul says, I'm using even your human logic to clarify your doubts. You know, Paul says, God, you know, if this is your argument, that means God cannot judge anybody in the world. That is the way this argument. If, if, that's why he says, God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us. And the question, the, the implication of this question is, God cannot judge anybody. And Paul is going to answer in verse 6, certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? See, the human argument is, if God is going to judge because of my unrighteousness, God's righteousness will increase. So for my unrighteousness, if God punishes me, it is unfair. So God cannot judge. That's a human argument. And Paul knows his God so well. He knows who his God is. And so Paul says, no, 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 it's not, it's not right. God will judge. Because our God is the righteous judge. Right? He goes back to Genesis chapter uh, 18 and 25. In Genesis chapter 18, 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Paul knows that our God is a righteous judge. He knows from the scripture. And he's not going to compromise on those truths just because people are raising up. They have some questions. Because in Psalms, we see repeatedly God is being referred as the judge. For example, in Psalm 56 it says, And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Psalm 58, 11. Then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. And in Psalm 94, 2, he says, rise up, rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. 
years ago i was doing a discipleship course in one of the churches committed believers and then i was telling i said it was that god is a righteous judge and then i realized you know uh, sometimes we are scared that our god is a righteous judge is going to punish us and then towards the end of the session he came to me and he said uh, thank you so much for telling that god is a righteous judge because he was fighting a legal battle in a in the court and you want god to be your judge when you are in the court you don't have to come to that place to realize that we need this god as the righteous judge if people have been into the court if you have had those experiences you go and ask them they'll say only god can be the righteous judge and we need our god to be a righteous judge and that's what paul says you know our god has to be the righteous judge your argument has no value that's why he says i'm talking from a human point of view but your question is not valid god will always remain a righteous judge now we go to the objection 4 in objection 4 if me sinning makes god look better that means i should sin more shouldn't i so that his glory is more clearly seen nowadays you have this hyper grace churches so you can apply these questions to their teachings may not be in exact words but they say it doesn't matter you sin because god is gracious you continue to sin doesn't matter now that's the kind of question that we see here if me sinning makes god look better that means that i should sin more shouldn't i so that his glory is more clearly seen in the earlier objection paul said this is i am speaking from a, let it be a human argument in this question in this particular place paul says your question doesn't even deserve an answer it doesn't even this question doesn't even deserve an answer that's the way he is treating this question because in verses 7 and 8 he says someone might argue if my falsehood enhances god's truthfulness and so increases his glory why am i still condemned as a sinner why not say as some slanderously claim that we say let us do evil that good may result and paul is giving the answer their condemnation is just paul is the one who says you know now there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus and paul is the same one who says their condemnation is just he says this kind of argument doesn't even merit an answer a response because their condemnation is just yeah, if if this verses uh, if it sounds very difficult for us to understand what this verses say is if evil behavior if evil behavior causes good consequences if my evil behavior causes good consequences don't you think it manifests god's truthfulness and so increases his glory that is the kind of argument by doing evil am i not promoting god's glory because it is resulting in something good uh, so in other words they say let us keep increasing evil so that good will also increase uh, to put it simply what what this verse this question says is 
the end justifies the means that is the essence of this question the end justifies the means as christians we need to be careful about the means even before we think of the end here the worldly people will always be concerned about the end so for them the end justifies the means i can make money this way also i can make that so long as i make money it's okay but for christians even if i lose money is my way okay that's the question that's the that's what the people are asking and paul says your your question doesn't even deserve consideration so he says their condemnation is just in other words he says evil never promotes the glory of god evil never promotes the glory of god don't try no there may be situations when we think when i go through this way i'll be benefited and so god is glorified or if the means are wrong we can be sure of one thing that even if the results are good god has not been glorified god has not been glorified evil never promotes the glory of god evil never evil cannot promote the glory of god evil never promotes so we need to be aware of this now i want to sum up what paul has done in this passage he raised up four objections and this is what we can learn from this passage uh, paul paul says paul warns his readers not to draw the wrong conclusion that jewish people are saved through circumcision and the law we have already seen if you are following the sermon series that how the legalistic churches behave how the power center churches behave how the liturgical churches behave and we we came to the conclusion it is the gospel which saves us so paul says he warns his readers not to draw the wrong conclusion that jewish people are saved through circumcision and the lord the second one god is faithful to his promises god is always faithful you know we we all know about our god for no word of god will ever fail for no word of god will ever fail if we understand the word of god rightly no for no word of god will ever fail paul says and god's righteousness is dependable paul says in next paul clarifies that god's faithfulness is ultimately not to israel but to his own person and promises we our theology has to become deeper unless we understand the person of god unless we understand the attributes of god you know it is very easy for us to picture a god according to our liking that's what we call as henotheism in henotheism you can have a god of your choice you know just because i like my god to be like this it doesn't mean that god will become like that first we we cannot change god he is an unchanging god we need to have the correct understanding of god the way he has revealed in the bible he is a righteous judge he will punish sin whether he is a pastor whether he is an evangelist 
whether he is anyone it doesn't matter he is not a respecter of person when he is going to punish sin he will punish sin whether irrespective of x y z is a god we cannot try to say oh i have done ministry so god will be very kind to me no because it's going against the character it's going against the very basic nature of god god will not do that then he is not god because he becomes changeable our god is unchangeable and that's what paul is telling us here that god's faithfulness is ultimately not to israel but to his own person and promises then he says god is therefore righteous when he punishes his people for their sin as well as when he rewards them for obedience we are all happy when god rewards us for our obedience but when god punishes for our sin we are not happy god is loving and generous when he rewards me for my obedience and god is not so good when he punishes me for my sin no god is just he will punish me when i commit sin he will reward me when i do good things he is just i cannot change him but i can change myself we are not here to change god we are here to change ourselves paul's understanding of his god is so high he never compromises the basic truths just because few people are asking questions people will always ask questions because our understanding of god has to increase then he says all too often we christians have assumed that god's grace to us exempts us from any concern about our sin this is what the hyper grace theology teaches us doesn't matter if you sin and we 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 it's 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 so pleasing you know our flesh wants to sin our flesh wants to sin it is not even somebody has to compel us to sin we want to sin that desire is within us and so we think god is so loving so his grace will exempt us you know from our sin never ever forget that god sent his only begotten son to the cross one who is holy blameless pure set apart from sins he sent him to the cross only because i was a sinner so that he can forgive my sins never ever forget never undermine the consequences of sin the wages of sin is death is death and we cannot uh undermine that next sentence must be little troubling to you but that also shows our maturity spiritual maturity god's ultimate concern is for his own glory and not for our blessing god's ultimate concern is for his own glory and not and not for our blessing if this sentence troubles you this is how we begin our spiritual walk we keep seeking blessings from god and as we mature in our spiritual walk with god it is no longer we seek our blessings we seek his face 
we seek his glory and honor in everything we do even if it's it hurts us that that that, that is an indication of our spiritual maturity it's a it's a sentence which is not so nice no please not so pleasing god's ultimate concern is for his own glory and not for our blessing if we are really maturing in our spiritual walk we will say god here i am you be glorified in and through my life though he slay me yet i'll trust him though he slay me yet i'll trust him next his righteousness is beautifully displayed when he judges as well as when he saves god is righteous only when he's a, when he when he is also a judge otherwise he cannot be righteous if god is not a judge he can never punish evil and if he doesn't punish evil then he can never be righteous so his righteousness is beautifully displayed when he judges as well as when he saves finally god promises both in the old testament and in the new testament to punish people for their sin as well as to bless them out of the abundance of his grace let us never present a god of our own thinking of our own imagination we need to find because god has revealed himself through his word and the way to the extent he has revealed that's all we can tell others not extrapolate and say no it's okay when god says it is not okay you and i have no authority to say it's okay it's never okay now having answered those four objections now paul says he comes to the conclusion he says all are under the power of sin all are under the power of sin this is also not so good to hear because you know we always like to hear and you know people tend to tell you you are basically good your psychologist will say you are basically good your counselor will say you are basically good and even the religious leaders will say you are basically good you are too great that's what they say but it's nice to hear those statements but deep down in our heart we always feel there is something wrong even though you get to hear you are good you are great everything deep down in our heart if you are true to ourselves we will know there is something wrong it's not so good i don't like to be the person i am there's something wrong with me i would like to be something different so we tend to have this kind of feelings you know it's not the question of what others say is a question of what you feel about yourself and these feelings are real and this is this is the this kind of guilt feeling is there with everyone we all face and struggle with these feelings that is why guilt drives people to alcohol drugs desperation frustration and at times they even commit suicide you know if you if you study the 
the statistics you you'll be shocked how many people at least attempt to commit suicide it is shocking it is shocking they may be highly educated well to do everything is fine but still they don't want to live many in the church do also entertain this kind of thoughts now that's that's what paul is addressing in this place it's not that you feel guilty actually we are guilty paul is telling it's not your feeling it's right what you're feeling is right because it is not that you're feeling guilty you are guilty we, i am guilty that's what paul says the guilt feeling is only the symptom but the real problem is sin if we don't address the real problem we will continue to struggle with the symptomatic problems you can take that person to one counselor the person will be okay for 5 days and then you have to look for another counselor in other words from season to season you need to look for some kind of a recourse the more you have you know in countries where they have advanced uh, facilities for this kind of counseling their people feel guilty all the more all the more they feel guilty what does it show it shows psychologists cannot give you the answers i'm not saying they are bad i'm not saying you should not go to a psychologist you should not go to a counselor that's not my point the point is they don't have the answer for the guilt that we feel the sin that is within us they don't have the answer if they had the answer then it is just it's a waste for jesus to come and die on the cross no psychologist no pastor can take away that guilt feeling it's only god can do that so the real answer is the gospel gospel it's good news so what is the good news good news is you have an answer for your problem for your sin so that is why jesus came jesus came so that we can be free from our sin you read in isaiah uh, for many years i i couldn't understand that i did understand but i didn't understand the implication of that verse you know he will come he will release the people from the prison and it took years for me to understand that all of us are in prison and it's only jesus who can set us free from our prison and even after coming out of prison sometimes even after being saved we try to go and put ourselves inside the prison and we lock that key. so we need constantly we need god to bring us out of that prison god alone can do that jesus alone can do that apart from salvation apart from jesus there is no answer to this problem and paul is telling all are under the power of sin whether you call yourself a gentile whether you call yourself religious unreligious atheist whatever whatever you may like to call yourself all of us are under the power of sin and uh, there's a great bible scholar dr donald grape banaus he said like this it is only stubborn self pride that keeps man from the confession to god man stands before god today like a little boy who swears with crying and tears 
that he has not been anywhere near the jam jar and who with an air of outraged innocence pleads the justice of his position in total ignorance of the fact that a good spoonful of the jam has fallen on his shirt and his chin and is plainly visible to all but himself this is our condition this is our true condition and unless we understand this that's what paul is trying to explain you know we and when, especially when we are religious this is all the more applicable especially when we are religious because we tell god how good how good god don't you know and especially if you are in the ministry it's all the more troublesome we none of us can take a position like this you know this is what paul has been doing in this book out in the letter to the romans he is leading us you know he started this argument right in chapter 1 verse 18 he said the wrath of god is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness and from there he is explaining verse after verse he is trying to explain and to say that you know and he is he is trying to conclude his argument and he says what shall we conclude then what shall we conclude then you know he he has what has he done so far he has said the gentile world sinful the blatant unrighteousness that's what he described in chapter 1 you read it and you feel oh what you read in the newspaper makes a better reading than what you read there that's the kind of uh, description paul has given so the blatant unrighteousness of the gentile world and when you come to the chapter 2 the hypocritical righteousness of religious people you know the i'm privileged to interact with more young people and the the more i interact with the young people and when they struggle with their faith do you know what they tell me pastor i see too much of hypocrisy in the church so i'm telling this to the older people including me because when they say i have seen too much of hypocrisy in the church basically they are telling we elderly people we have been hypocrites that's what they say i'm i'm not pointing a finger at anyone i'm telling the facts when people come and talk to me when they just start pouring out their heart to me one statement i get to hear church is filled with hypocrites and i don't contest their statement because that's what we have been and unless we elderly people we realize the seriousness because people are watching us you all are watching me so those who are seated here you are watching each other so i'm not talking about this church any church so church is made of full of hypocrites so they say all your faith everything it's okay jesus is okay but your faith what you say it all doesn't make sense they're struggling young people are struggling 
because we have been behaved hypocrites. And that's, that's what Paul says in chapter 2. He's only talking about the hypocritical righteousness of religious people. And then Paul also addresses another group of people. They are self-confident people in their religiosity. You don't know, I'm always there in the church. If there are three services, I'm looking forward for the fourth service also. So Paul is addressing them also. You know, I never eat even without read, reading the Bible. I have to finish three chapters. Then only I can read, eat food. I have been so religious. And Paul says, you know, this religiosity cannot save you. It is good. Paul doesn't say it's bad. Paul doesn't say you come and sit in the church for three services, it's bad. Paul is not saying that. Paul is not saying that reading Bible is bad. He's not saying that. But he says these things cannot save you. That's what Paul is trying to tell in this chapter. And then he comes to the conclusion, everybody is under sin. That's what he says. There is no one righteous, not even one. Abraham, there is no one righteous, not even you. You may be a pastor of a church, but there is no one righteous, not even you. Unless we understand the salvation, we will never understand what Paul is trying to teach us. What Paul is trying to say is, the moment you are born in this world, and you, you, you know, your passport is given to you. And the passport, on the passport, it is stamped under sin. For everyone, whether you are a Christian, whether you are a non-Christian, whether any religion, it doesn't matter. Whenever a human being is born into the, boy or child is born into this world, the child comes with the passport, stamped under sin. And that's what Paul says. There is no one righteous, not even one. Paul is using, you know, when you find the word righteous, uh, it is basically saying there is no one who is right in God's standing. He's using a positional term. That means when we stand before God, we always say that we stand in the righteousness of Jesus. So he says there is no one righteous. He's using a positional term to say that your relationship with God is not right. Nobody can stand before God. Nobody can stand before God. That is, that is why he says there is no one righteous. So he says we all come with a... And when he says under sin, it's basically a legal term. He says all of us are under sin. Now the problem is Nobody can escape, whether you are born in a pastor's family, whether you are born in a Christian family, whether you belong to this denomination or that denomination, all of us have carry a passport which is stamped under sin. Okay, that, that awareness should make us realize, I need to get my passport endorsed under grace. We need to, endure, we need to get it endorsed under, for H1B visa they run. They'll stand in queue. But for under, we need to realize it is this under grace is the stamp, the endorsement that we all need. What Paul is basically telling is all of us are lost. All of us are lost. 
all of us are lost and that is why we go back to the salvation and we under, that's why we want this church to be a gospel centered church to understand what Jesus has done in our lives uh, for example let's think of three swimmers from shall you have that map okay from rameshwaram to manar they want to just swim because that's a sh short stretch they want to swim now there are three people now the first person starts swimming and within 2 3 minutes he drowns okay the second person starts swimming and he is able to swim for 20 minutes then afterwards he drowns then the final man is at least is a swimmer he has had some practice he swims for 1 hour after that he drowns now will you tell that the first man drowned little bit the third man drowned more what do what do we say all three drown too often we think i have sinned less compared to that person i have sinned less i am not so bad as it's sure it's sure i am not saying that you know sin also has that gravity lesser sin greater sin you have the gravity but but when you drown all three drown the same so whether you commit little sin or whether you commit more sin whether it is the first person or whether it is the third person all three have been lost all three have been lost you cannot say you are okay the first person is okay you didn't drown so long the depth was only 100 meters so it's okay no all three have drowned and lost their lives this is what sin does to us have we realized that we were all lost all of us were lost we think we were good people but we may be the you all may be the first swimmer we were all good people but the bible says you are good but you sinned so you have drowned you are lost so when we stand before this righteous judge whether he is a liar that's why jesus when he was interpreting the law he said if you get angry at a brother you have already committed adultery yeah murder if you look at a woman with lustful eyes you have already committed we think we we tend we like to think that jesus should say that sin is when we actually commit the act but jesus said you just think you have already because jesus knew that the moment sin enters our lives we have already drowned now this is what salvation means we all were drowned lost in sin and now paul is telling you may have you may be a jew you may be christian you may be religious irreligious non religious but remember all of us are lost that's what paul says and i just want us to reflect on this one thought what effects what effects does sin have on our thoughts relationships and life what effects does sin have on our thoughts 
relationships and life. Sin will drown us. It will drown us. Sometimes we don't even realize it is drowning us. Sin, we cannot afford to tolerate or play with sin. Even if we think nobody is watching, there is a God who is watching. Even if we think no one knows, there is a God who knows. So we cannot afford to play with sin. And we need to be careful. And that is why the work of Jesus Christ on the cross becomes so precious, so precious. It is only his blood that saves us. It is so precious. That is why salvation is so important. I want everyone in this church, including me, we will understand the cost of the salvation and what Jesus has done in our lives. Instead of trying to say, I am better than the other person, all three of us were drowned. drowned. We had no hope. We were lost and hopeless. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer?